to Genesis chapter 27. By the way, uh, we found this. this someone, I guess, put it up underneath the pulpit. If Joe Bethany was here today, I'd ask him if it was his, but he's not here. But if anybody knows who it is, you can pick it up after the service. Genesis chapter 27. I'll tell you from the beginning, it's hard to see God in this passage. It's, it's difficult to see God in this passage because this whole chapter is so saturated with human sin. I think we could spend the, the entire uh, half hour identifying the tangled web of lies, of scheming, of manipulation, of hatred, and just godless self-concern that is spewing from Isaac's family here in chapter 27. It's staggering to me that this family that we're about to read about was the only redeemed community that was in the world at the time. This family, for all intents and purposes, was the church. This family is a mess. But it's the, it's the best mess going because no other family in the world had a relationship with God. And this is the same for the truth. The same uh, is, is true for the church today. The church, as defined as all congregations or all denominations that believe and confess that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, the church is the only redeemed community in the world today. And like Isaac's family, the church is often a mess, but it's the best mess going. Um, there's so much sin in Isaac's family that it threatens to conceal God's grace and glory. But God's glory and His grace cannot be concealed. Uh, and the same is true for the church. Instead of the church being a rest home for saints, the church is a hospital for sinners. And regardless of the sin, God's grace and His glory come shining through. In fact, I would argue that human sin serves to magnify God's grace. The reason I would argue this is because this is what Paul argues in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, when he said, Where sin increased... Grace increased all the more. Connie uh, has been out this week, so we worked a couple of bulletins ahead, so I didn't have an outline uh, for her when she uh, was ready to go out of time, uh, go out of town. So here, here is my sermon outline, and my sermon outline reflects this conviction that uh, human sin ultimately magnifies God's grace as all things ultimately magnify God's glory and His grace. So my, my sermon outline is this. My first point is pervasive sin magnifies God's all-conquering grace. Uh, this is verses 1 through 25. My second point is human schemes magnify God's almighty power, verses 26 through 29. My third point is unbelieving hatred magnifies God's providential care, verses 30 through 46. So this first point, pervasive sin magnifies God's all-conquering grace. Last week when we finished the sermon, 
Uh, Isaac was repenting for his fear and lack of trust in God. He had built an altar and worshipped God. And uh, God reminded Isaac of his promises. Now, a great number of years uh, have passed between chapter 26 and chapter 27. In chapter 27, we're going to see in a moment that Isaac is now old, that he has become blind, and that he feels that death is fast approaching for him. So if you have your Bibles, follow along as I read verses 1 through 25 in Genesis chapter 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me the delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. He said, Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare Uh, from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father. I'm sorry, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, 
Bring it near me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. There's a lot of unhappiness in Isaac's family. And there's a lot of blame to be spread around for this unhappiness. But most of the blame lies in Isaac's lap. If you remember back a couple of chapters to Genesis chapter 25, in verse 23, when Rebekah was pregnant with the twins, when she was pregnant with Esau and Jacob, God told uh, Isaac and Rebekah that their younger son would receive the inheritance instead of the older son. And so, um, as the children grew up, however, Isaac was drawn to his oldest son, Esau. Uh, He was drawn to Esau because Esau was a man of the field, plus Esau was his firstborn. So Isaac instructed Esau to go hunting and uh, that he would bless him and give him the inheritance that God had said would go to Jacob. In other words, Isaac is willfully disobeying God's express will. Now, when you're living in tents, it's an understatement to say that the walls are thin. So naturally, Rebecca overheard Isaac's plan. Uh, and it could have been that Isaac, being old, um, you know, and they didn't have hearing aids back then, he may have been thinking that he's talking normally to, to, to Esau, and he may have been actually shouting so that maybe the whole tent heard. Anyway... Um, she overhears his plan. Uh, she she shares some of the blame for all the unhappiness in this family uh, because she cooks up a plan, pun intended, that would mean that Jacob would deceive his father. And of course, Jacob was a very willing uh, participant. When I first uh, was studying this passage, I always studied the passage a few months in advance, give a title to it. My my mind was was drawn to Jacob, and I titled it The Deceiver. Um, I think I would give it a different title today. But um, Jacob certainly was a very willing participant. and very deceptive uh, throughout. Jacob goes goes all in for the plan. He dresses in his brother's clothes. He makes his arms hairy like his brother's. And he and he lies outright to his father's face. In fact, Jacob even used God in his lies. Listen to what Jacob said to Isaac uh, in verse 20 when Isaac asked uh, how the wild game was found and cooked so quickly. Jacob said, Because the Lord your God granted me success. This is blasphemy. Nothing less than blasphemy. This family is a real mess. It's a certainty that after this stunt that uh, Rebecca uh, cooks up and, and that, um, that Jacob uh, is going to try and pull off, and really it's a, it was, it was a, a circumstances uh, initiated by Isaac. It's like when he told Esau, go and, and uh, find me game so that I can bless you, even though God had said to, um, to, to Rebecca and to Isaac, that the younger will receive the inheritance. It's almost like uh, Isaac threw, threw a grenade in his family. 
uh, he shares a lot of the blame uh, for this situation, for this set of circumstances, and for everything that that follows. Um, in fact, um, this family is going to come unglued. Uh, Jacob's going to have to leave as a result of this. Um, there's a lot of deception, manipulation, and deceit going on in this family. And I don't think this is an isolated incident. Um, but this is the one incident that God has has uh, highlighted for us. Now remember, this family is God's chosen family. This family is the family that God has elected. This is the family that God set apart from eternity past. This is the, the family that God has chosen to receive His covenant promises. I think there, there are two thoughts I think that God wants us to see here in this passage. Certainly many more, but uh, two that, that uh, I believe that God wants us to see. First of all, God does not hide the sins of His chosen family. In fact, He does just the opposite. He magnifies their sins. The Bible is unique among religious books. And the religious books uh, tend to highlight the moral victories of their saints. But the Bible highlights their failures. Why would God do this? I think this leads us, the answer to this question leads us to the second thing that I think God wants us to see. He wants, to, wants us to see that, that our God, that the God of the Bible, is a God of grace. He wants us to see His love for sinners. Isaac willfully disobeys God. Rebekah willfully manipulates her husband. Jacob willfully lies to his father's face while enlisting God in the deception. Yet God says, I love them with an everlasting love. Our God is a God of grace. And we're hardwired as sinners to think that God bases His love for us on our own righteousness. Even we who understand justification by faith alone, we so easily fall back into this idea and wrongly think that we've got to climb the steps of, of moral virtue to make sure that God continues to love us. Listen, you will never be virtuous enough to merit God's love. And if you should somehow figure out just how to live an exemplary moral life, God is likely to knock you down a few pegs, to cause you to fall on your face, just so that you won't become so prideful in your moral virtue that you will forget just how much you need to depend upon Him. I'm reminded of Paul in 2 Corinthians. Paul is be, his circumstances are so bad he is dist, he is despairing of life itself, and he says, "But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead." Paul says that God gave him a thorn in the flesh 
to keep him from being prideful. God highlights the moral failings of His beloved saints in the Bible to teach us we are sinners. And God will magnify your own sins to remind you that He is a God of grace. Second point of the sermon, human schemes magnify God's almighty power. And Isaac was dead set on giving his blessing and inheritance to Esau, even though God had said otherwise. God said, the, the older will serve the younger. Isaac says, the older will receive the inheritance and the younger will, will serve the older. Reversing or attempting to reverse God's plan. But look at verses 26 through 29. Human schemes certainly do magnify God's almighty power. Because guess who Isaac gave the inheritance to? It wasn't to Esau, who he was dead set on giving that inheritance to. Instead, he gave it to Jacob, albeit he thought he was giving it to Esau. Look at verses 26 through 29 as I read it. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. And blessed is everyone, or blessed be everyone who blesses you. You know, it really was a stupid scheme that Rebecca and Jacob had cooked up. It had very little chance of working. In fact, as we read earlier, um, Isaac is suspicious it's the sound of my son Jacob's voice. But he says he's Esau and his hands feel like Esau and had very little chance of working. But it worked. Why did it work? It only worked because God wanted it to work. Um, doesn't mean that what uh, Jacob and Rebekah uh, were scheming to do was right. But it only worked because God is sovereign. This teaches us that God can draw a straight line with a very crooked stick. Beware of thinking, well, all that matters is the outcome. If I can get an outcome that is in keeping with what, God, what I think God wants me to have, it doesn't matter how I get there. No. God was not happy with Rebekah and Jacob, even though um, Jacob ended up receiving the inheritance. Um, it was not Rebekah and Jacob's scheme that caused Jacob to receive the inheritance. It was God alone who caused Jacob to receive the inheritance. God ordained it from before the creation of the world, and nothing could have kept it from happening. Let me cut to the chase. God is sovereign 
And He is faithful to all His promises. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Timothy, God cannot deny Himself. The Bible says that God remains faithful even when we are unfaithful. And nothing you can do can ever change that. If God has promised you something in the Bible, He will bring it to pass. Now, it will, not, it will likely not be how you expect because we are self-centered, plus we are finite in our, um, in our wisdom. But God will indeed be faithful to His promises. Beware of the temptation to take matters into your own hands and beware of scheming in your own strength and wisdom as to how you are going to make sure that God gives you His promised blessings. God will be faithful, but you will be red-faced when you receive those promises. If you do not seek His promise by faith, then you will surely have a lot of pain and a whole string of regrets as you learn some hard lessons from God along the way. But God is faithful to His children. God was faithful to Isaac, who was His child. We saw last week, Isaac had to learn a lot of hard lessons. We're going to learn in the coming weeks, Jacob's going to have to learn a lot of hard lessons, decades worth of lessons, before he actually comes to God. But he was a child of the promise. God had promised His blessing upon him, and God brought it about in spite of Jacob. Now we haven't looked yet at Esau's reaction to being, in his mind, cheated out of the inheritance. Really, it wasn't his inheritance to have to begin with. But let's look at Esau's reaction in verses 30 through 46. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from, his pre- from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau, his brother, came in, from, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Isaac. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Isaac heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me even also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly called Jacob? Which means deceiver. For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? 
Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even even also, O my father. And And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, but when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said of himself, or said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, his older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you here, bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? And just to remind you, at the end of chapter 26, Esau had married two of these Hittite women. So Esau hates his brother. And he begins counting the days until his father would die so that he could kill Jacob. Jacob um, and Esau forgot that he was living in a tent um, and that the walls are thin. He uttered his plans out loud. Someone heard him and they told Rebekah. So Rebekah did what she did best. She manipulated Isaac to make sure that Isaac would be happy with Jacob, um, with Jacob fleeing to her brother's home to find a wife. Esau hates Jacob. But since God is building uh, building Abraham and Isaac's descendants through Jacob, God will not allow Esau to harm Jacob. He will not be allowed to kill him. God has set his protection over Jacob. Throughout history, there have been unbelievers who have hated God's people. In the first several years after 9-11, the persecution of, of uh, Christians became more intense. Uh, in the Middle East. In fact, it was calculated that a Christian was martyred every 18 minutes uh, in the years immediately after uh, September 11, 2001. It's gotten even more intense in the past few years. In 2010, 176,000 Christians were martyred. That is a Christian martyr every three minutes. And now we're hearing about whole cities and villages over in Egypt and in Syria that are, that are being wiped out. I've been thinking all week about those poor people. What if I were dad living in, in one of these Christian villages as a Christian in Syria or in Egypt? 
Would I be willing to give my wife, my daughters, and my son to be slaughtered for our faith? My thoughts went to Revelation chapter 7. At the end of Revelation chapter 7, verses 15 through 17, you don't need to turn there. I just want to read it real quickly for you. It talks about what happens to the martyrs. They're in God's presence. And it says, They have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Those martyrs, those Christians who are losing their life throughout the Middle East and really throughout the world, God cares for them. And my point stands that human hatred of God's children only serves to magnify God's providential care. Even these Christians who are being killed, it didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen outside of God's knowledge or His power. He allowed it to happen. And God is caring for them. He was caring for them on earth He's caring for them in His presence as He is shepherding them as they stand in the midst of His throne. He is wiping away every tear from their eyes. Here's my point. Actually, I believe it's God's point. In spite of sin in Isaac's family, God's purpose to bless His people is unshakable. God in His grace will never let them go but will bring them to the point where they entrust themselves to God again. And I know that God's people often find themselves at the end of that very, it seems, thin little thread. And it just seems like that thin little thread so easily break off because of your sin. But I want to tell you, that thread is... Um, is is a, a rope from God that is covered in Christ's blood. That thread is empowered with God's power. That thread will never break because God will never, ever forsake His children. Neither height nor depth, width or breadth, nothing under all creation is able to separate the love of God. Um, or the Christian from the love of God. Just reminded as I was thinking about this thread. This, I read this a long time ago in one of Spurgeon's sermons. Spurgeon said he was so sure of God's um, of, of his salvation in Christ that he would be willing to to swing out over the pit of hell on a spider's web um, and laugh at Satan in his face. His his salvation was so secure in Christ. And I'm telling you, if you feel like you're on the end of that thread and because of your sin that you feel like it may break, God's faithfulness is greater 
He will never, ever let His children go. He will keep you. He may send you through periods of tremendous regret and pain to bring you back to the point where you trust in Him and trust in Him wholeheartedly. That's how much He loves you. In spite of our sin, even through our sin, God can and will achieve what He has promised. How can you know for sure? Because God brought His promised Redeemer through all the sin, through all the unbelief of the Israelites, through the the sin and unbelief of, of Isaac's family, through all the hatred of God's enemies. He sent His Son to save His people. And His salvation is a real salvation. I'm concluding with this. Look at verse 13. Rebekah said to Jacob, um, when, when, uh, when Jacob questioned, what if, what if uh, Isaac um, catches me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing? His mother said to him, let the curse be on me, my son. And will obey my voice and go and bring me to and bring them to me. The curse she was referring to was Isaac's wrath. Um, but but Jesus Christ came and he said to God the Father, "Let your curse be on me." The curse he was referring to was the curse for our sins. And when Christ gives His salvation to a person, He never retracts it. It is ours in spite of our sins. In fact, it is a real salvation. And because it is a real salvation, He shepherds us through our sins to cause us to trust in Him. Let's pray together. Father, this is... uh, a long passage with a lot of ugliness in it. God, um, You look at our hearts and You see us as we really are and You see a lot of ugliness in ours, in our own hearts. We thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You that we have a real salvation and that His salvation means that all of Your promises are yes and amen to us in Jesus Christ. It means that our hearts and our ugliness has been forgiven. It means that Christ became a curse for us so that we no longer live under the curse. So that we can proclaim if Christ be for us, who can be against us? God, I pray that You would break proud hearts this morning. I pray that You would strengthen um, weak and... and, uh, and hurting hearts. I pray that You help us all, whether we have a strong faith or a weak faith, or even those here who this morning have never yet had faith. Help us to have a a strong faith in Jesus Christ. Help us to remember that it's not our hold on Him, but it is His solid grip on us in which we trust. We thank You for Jesus. Be with us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Give us a renewed joy after hearing Your Word proclaimed and remembering Your great love for us. 
we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.